Hi, my name is Charlie Bird and today's podcast for the Senior Times in conjunction with the HSE is looking at a really important issue for all of us, keeping well this winter. And my guest today is Professor Martin Cormican, the HSE lead on infection control. Professor, the HSE has published a booklet. Is it being sent to every house in the country? Yes, um, so it's it, the, and the information is there to, as you say, help people to keep well in general terms, both in terms of mental and physical health through the, through the coming winter. And particularly, we're all living in the age of COVID, but we should be looking after all of the other issues as well. Isn't that correct? Uh, absolutely. It's about um, looking after ourselves as a, as a whole person. So um, some of the measures that people have to take, for example, related to COVID can um, cause stress in other ways. So it's really important that we think about the person as a whole. And, you know, avoiding COVID is obviously very important. But there's also um, one really important part of that is that if any one of us are unlucky enough to get COVID, our our chance of coming through it well um, is related to how healthy we were when it happened. So if we keep active, eat well, look after our mental health, then that puts us in, in a stronger position if we are unlucky enough to get COVID and improves our chances of recovery. Okay, I think that is really, really important. So what you're saying is, oh, unfortunately, somebody might get COVID, but if they are looking after themselves uh, throughout the winter, it will help to fight it. Isn't that correct? Absolutely, because if you're if you're in good it's like any other competition that we we might do, whether you're whether it's golf or tennis or whatever your thing is. If you're in good physical condition, then you're better prepared for any challenge that you face. Good physical and mental condition, then when a challenge comes, you're you're better prepared to deal with it. And that's as true for illness as it is for you know things that we do for leisure or for other reasons. The better the condition you are at the start of the challenge the better your chance you have of succeeding. And also, even that simple thing about eating well, isn't that right? Yes, absolutely. So it's so much of our health. is you, The old, you are what you eat. Is, uh, so eating well, keep, if, you're, if you're careful about exercise, if you're able to stay careful about your weight, and it's, it is challenging for many of us. I think, it, you know, they, particularly, I think, if you're at home a lot more with COVID, there's that tendency to snack um, uh, more and and I have colleagues who talk to me about the COVID pounds that they've gained um, because they have found that they're eating more when they're at home. So I think it's being careful about all of those things and and in particular uh, about getting out and getting some exercise and getting some fresh air so that you keep yourself well, as you say, food and and you know so eating well, lots of fluids but not too much alcohol, um, taking exercise where you can, all of those things mean that if you are unlucky enough to get it, you're in a better position to pull through. Yeah, and what you said there, I think, is really important, isn't it? What we now, everybody talks about the COVID pounds, the little couple of um, pounds or kilos which are added around the belly if, if we're not taking enough exercise in this particular difficult period. Yes, and, and exercise, I, I think sometimes exercise becomes... Um, a bit too heroic. Sometimes people think if they're not going out for the two-kilometer jog, they're not doing anything. But in fact, one of the things we've learned very much over recent years is that you get a huge amount of benefit even for a relatively small amount of exercise. So, you know, if you um, if you're having difficulty with moving around a lot, even to get up and move around the house, even to get up and move around your garden, 
actually has very significant benefits. So not everybody um, is is going to want to go and run the Dublin City Marathon if we have it back next year. Um, but it doesn't have to be the Dublin City Marathon. Even walking down to the gate a couple of times a day, even just moving around the house, all of that has benefit. Um, so it doesn't have to be heroic to get benefit from exercise. The other thing I hear people talking about, is it taking, sometimes people say, sunlight, particularly in the winter, taking vitamin D, is is that good for us? Vitamin D is it, it really important for, uh, for bone health and indeed for health in other respects as well. And as you say, in, if you're getting lots of sunlight, we normally make uh, vitamin D. Um, but in the wintertime, yes, in the Northern Hemisphere in the wintertime, some people do get vitamin D deficient. So um, it, it, is, um, it is useful for many people to take a, a, a supplement. Um, but I would say um, it's probably useful also to check that with your doctor to make sure that that's right for you. But generally speaking, yes, there are people who benefit from having supplement, vitamin supplements in this time of year. Would you recommend any other supplements um, across the spectrum for people of different ages? I'm pretty careful about supplements, to be honest with you. I mean, I think the main thing is to try to have a healthy, balanced diet in so far as you can. A lot of supplements are actually quite expensive. Um, and in many cases, the evidence that they really benefit your health is actually quite limited. If you are taking supplements, it usually the, the simple ones and the less expensive ones are often just as, as, as good as the uh, high cost, very heavily marketed ones. So I think certain vitamin supplements can be of value, but I think the main thing is about trying to eat a healthy, balanced diet. And if you're eating a good, healthy, balanced diet, you get most of what you need from that. Um, and as I say, if, there, if you are supplements, thinking of supplements, I think it's worth talking to your GP, see what kind of supplements are likely to be suitable for you. And, and be careful, I would say, about some of the really high-cost products that are very heavily marketed and make claims that are not always well-based. That's an interesting point you make. In, in a way, because of the COVID, I suppose a lot of us haven't been going to see our GP or maybe haven't been following up on medical issues. So that is an important point, isn't it? That we really should not neglect that, that we should make sure if there's an issue there or if we have something, forgetting about now COVID for the moment, but other issues that we really should make sure we keep in contact with our GP. Isn't that right? Absolutely. And my general practitioner colleagues with whom I meet regularly, um, they, they're, they're busy, they're working. Um, it's really important message, of course, that you call ahead so that the visit can be planned if they need to see you face to face. They may be able to help you over the phone, but general practice is, is, is working full throttle and, uh, and general practitioners are, are, are there to help. And I think your point is absolutely correct. Sometimes people get so preoccupied by the fear of the COVID that they may overlook the fact that if you have some trouble with your blood pressure or diabetes or any of the other conditions that we, we, we may suffer from, they need to be looked after as well. And, and you need, you, so you, if you need to see your doctor, you do need to talk to your doctor about that. And, and don't, you know, again, don't suffer in silence because of COVID. Your, your GP is there, um, call them um, and, and they will help you to decide what what you need and, and to arrange for you to come in and see them if that's what you need. Our health service is here for you this winter and we're taking every step to protect you from COVID-19. Our services are open and working from routine appointments to urgent care. 
remember to check your prescriptions and keep a list of your medicines handy. And look out for your Keeping Well This Winter booklet in the post. Visit hse.ie or call HSE Live on 1850 24 1850 for more information. From the HSE. Your free travel card can be used on all Expressway coach services. Despite restrictions, we're staying on the road. Whether you need to attend a medical appointment or for any other essential journey, remember to travel with Expressway. Expressway. Keeping Ireland connected. Here's your chance to win a top-of-the-range smartphone, a Doro 8050, designed specifically for seniors. Doro are market leaders in creating phones with clearer sound and larger text, one that's protected if it falls or can alert others if you do, and makes staying in touch with family and friends simple and enjoyable. Doro helped to make ageing an independent, secure and rich part of life. As you know, age is just a number. All you need to do to win a Doro smartphone is go to the website seniortimes.ie and follow the instructions. The lucky winner will be announced on the Senior Times Facebook page. Doro Phones, making technology easy for all. Say hello to our Premium Plus e-paper bundle, the interactive replica edition of the Irish Independent, Sunday Independent and The Herald. Every paper, every day, delivered to your tablet, phone or desktop for less than €3.50 per week. Subscribe at independent.ie. Up close and independent. So one of the other things which um, interests me, you know, over the years, we all go to the doctor, we might have a cough, we might have a cold, and then you want to go back and you say to the, your doctor, oh, listen, give me an antibiotic. That's what I need. It's the cure-all. Tell me about the antibiotics, because I think we're all caught up in that, aren't we? But we know that people in Ireland, uh, on average, take at least twice as much, sometimes a bit more than that, antibiotics as, as some people in, in northern European countries, for example. We use a lot more antibiotics per person than Norway and Sweden. And, and the people in Norway and Sweden are, are not less healthy than we are. So that is that idea that's become embedded, I think, in people that an antibiotic will fix things for you. And of course, antibiotics are fantastic. So I'm a microbiologist. I've spent my life dealing with infection. Um, antibiotics are absolutely wonderful, priceless when you need them. But they are like everything else that we prescribe. They are powerful drugs and they have side effects. So if you have a severe bacterial infection that will benefit from an antibiotic, then it's, it's, that's, a, that's a good choice. But if you have a viral infection and the antibiotic is not going to help you, then what you're doing is taking a powerful drug in a situation where it won't help you and it might do you harm. So we know, for example, that anytime you take an antibiotic, in addition to killing off the bad bacteria that might be causing your pneumonia or whatever, that it also kills off all your, a lot of your good bacteria. Um, so our, our skin and our gut, our mouth, are all full of good bacteria that are really important to keep us healthy. And every time you take an antibiotic, you start to kill off some of those good bacteria. As I said, if you have a bad bacterial infection, that's a price you have to pay to, to get over the bad infection. But if you have a viral infection, the antibiotic won't kill the virus. If you have COVID, for example, the antibiotic won't kill the COVID. If you have influenza, it won't kill the influenza. But what it will do is it will kill out your good bacteria. It will let some bacteria like the, the bug that causes thrush, for example, will often grow when people are on antibiotics. Um, and it will 
The antibiotic can cause diarrhea because it kills off good bacteria in your in your bowel. And sometimes antibiotics cause skin rashes and other side effects. So, so it's a really good choice. If your doctor says to you, I'm, I'm satisfied you have a viral infection and you don't need an antibiotic, your doctor is looking after you by protecting you from a drug that you don't need. And that's more likely to do you harm than good. See, in fact, a lot of people will be going to the doctor and they come away disappointed when they don't get an antibiotic. Isn't that right? Absolutely. And I think, again, that's a cultural thing. I think people have come to think of that if they get an antibiotic, that it, it sort of, it, it makes them feel that it's recognized that they're sick um, and that the antibiotic is going to make them get better faster. But I mean, viral infections, you can feel really, really miserable with the viral infection. Of course, COVID is a case in point, but the antibiotics won't help you recover from that because they just don't work against viruses. So if your doctor is saying, no, I don't think you need an antibiotic. They're not telling you you're not sick. They're just telling you that the kind of illness that you have is not one that an antibiotic is going to help. Um, and, and if it's not going to help you, then it might do you harm. And so the sensible thing to do is not, not to take it. So antibiotics are fantastic when you need them. They've changed our lives in so many ways. Um, but if you don't need them, it's already, you have getting risk without benefit. Just out of curiosity, when, when did, when, where did antibiotics come from? When did we discover them? When did the, the world discover them? Yeah, well, people often point to Alexander Fleming as the person who discovered right. penicillin. Yeah. And there's this story told about him leaving, that he was working with bacteria is the story. Nobody's quite sure how true this is. He was working with bacteria. He went off on his holidays that when he came back, he found that there was a fungus growing on top of the bacteria and that the fungus was killing off the bacteria. And then when he looked into it, he found that the fungus was making penicillin. So that's, but actually there were drugs for treating bacterial infections even before Fleming's, the sulfonamides and that. So they all started in the early part of the 20th century and they were miracle drugs. But one of the problems that happened as we went through the 50s and the 60s is it became the cost of making antibiotics became very low. And then people started using antibiotics for all sorts of things, um, even where there was very little benefit. It's interesting now to think back on the time that when penicillin was new in the 1940s, it was so precious that sometimes they gave a patient penicillin and they collected the patient's urine so that they could take any penicillin that came out of the urine back out of it. it the drug was so precious at that time. Are you but then serious? as people got good, yes, yeah, yeah. In the early days, that they used to, it, it was. It was so it, it was so hard to make and it was so precious um, uh, that was there, there's a famous story told about a, a, a Burns victim in, in the United States in the early 40s where the police traveled uh, a couple of hundred miles to deliver the penicillin for this for this person. So it was very scarce at that time. Then they increased the manufacture of it. One of the things actually that drove the increasing the manufacture of penicillin was was the, the plans for the D-Day landings because they wanted to have penicillin. Penicillin transformed the sort of people who got injuries on the battlefield. Um, if they got early antibiotics, if the wounds were dirty and they got early antibiotics, it protected them until the surgeons got to them. So, so one of the big drivers to increase penicillin production in the 40s was actually the military to, to prepare for things like the D-Day landings and other situations where they were expecting to take a lot of casualties. 
So here we are uh, in the winter, uh, the heavy snows or whatever haven't arrived yet, but who knows what's around the corner. And clearly, we leave the COVID aside for the moment, but what should people have in their in their medical cabinet, you know, what type of the normal things would you recommend that people have just there for safety during the winter? Well, obviously, if you are on regular medication, it's a really good idea to make sure that you have an adequate supply of it and, and not to do as as we all tend to do sometimes is leave it until you're down to the last tablet. So, that's one of the really important things is if you if you do need regular medication for diabetes or for blood pressure or for uh, your heart, that you have enough of it and that you refill the stock of it well before it runs out. Um, beyond medicines that are prescribed by your doctor um, for, for a particular condition, I think taking medicines very sparingly is a good idea. Um, it's useful to have something in the house uh, for pain relief for minor aches and pains. And generally speaking, the safest uh, product for that is paracetamol. Um, and again, there's lots of different versions of paracetamol, some of them more expensive than others, some of them claiming they do all sorts of wonderful things for you. But but usually the, the, the less expensive paracetamol that you can get in your pharmacist, are, 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 that's, is, is, it is useful to have some of that. The big thing is not to run out of your prescribed medicines. Oh, for the last couple of days, and I'm sure as we go up towards Christmas, everybody is now looking at the images and the news of the COVID vaccine. And everybody's waiting, 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 waiting. I mean, what have your impressions been over the last couple of days watching the images of the first people getting their injections? Just first of all, there's two parts of the, to the COVID vaccine for, for me. Um, um, one is the, the science of it, and the other is the hope of it, if, you, if yes. I could say those two things. The hope of it, obviously, is that we start to get our lives back to something like that they used to be, where we are able to move about more freely, that we're able to meet our friends more freely. So I think there's a real prospect that the vaccine is going to make a real difference next year. Uh, one of the key things about a vaccine, of course, is that a vaccine works if people are happy to have it. So, um, so people would make a, we need to give people information about the vaccine and make sure that they so that they're in a position to consider that. And 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 so I think people are looking for information. I think it we, the HSE will be working getting more information to people about the vaccine. The other part of it, of course, is the science of it, which is the, the technology that underlies these new vaccines is really interesting. Um, it's a it's a it's an approach that's based on getting your getting your body to to make the protein that you have that your immune system responds to, and it's actually very like mimicking what the virus does. So, in, in they don't inject you with the virus for this vaccine. They inject you with a little piece of uh, RNA, which is which tells the cell in your body how to make a tiny fragment of the virus. And that tiny fragment of the virus then makes your immune system react so that if you ever come across the virus, your immune system has seen it before. So what, what the vaccine is based about is, if you like, giving your immune system a chance to look at a little piece of the virus before you ever meet the virus. Because your immune system has seen that little piece of the virus, when the virus turns up, it's ready to jump on it. So if, if I get COVID today, for example, um, it's going to take my immune system 
10 to 14 days before it really, before it's able to deal with it. And I could get very sick in that 10 to 14 days. But if my immune system already had a preview, if you like, of what that virus looks like, it's ready to go right away. So what vaccination is about, essentially, is giving your immune system a preview of the trouble that's ahead. And then if the trouble comes to you, your immune system is ready to go. It's already primed. It's ready to go. And you don't lose that 10 to 14 days while your immune system figures out what to do with this virus. So that's the, that's the principle of vaccinations. That's the technologies behind it. And the science of it is really very, very interesting. And the science of this particular vaccine is, is, is interesting as science as well as its importance for public health and for getting our lives back. Now, there, there, there'll be people listening to you from all over the country, uh, somebody maybe in some small rural area, and maybe they have a niggling concern about a vaccine that's been developed so quickly, so fast. What would you say to them? Um, I think that there are, there are people who will be concerned about that. Uh, and uh, all medicines, there are... You know, all medicines are, drug, are drugs, essentially, and they all have to be used carefully. Um, the way I would look at this is that uh, we know what COVID does. We know that the damage it can do, particularly to people who are, who are, who are vulnerable. Um, and the evidence that we have so far, the evidence I've seen so far, is that the vaccine offers you huge protection against COVID. Um, and what people will be doing, I suppose, is that they'll be weighing up in their minds, what is the risk if I, if I don't get the vaccine, what's the risk to me? And what is the risk if I do get the vaccine? Well, the vaccine um, has been through very good safety studies that, that so, so far as we've seen, but we haven't got all the data yet. And the European Medicines Agency is going to look at all that data. So the reason the vaccine isn't available in Ireland just yet is precisely because the authorities are looking very carefully at the data to make sure that they're satisfied that it's safe and to make sure that they're satisfied that it's effective. And I, I would have confidence um, that if the European Medicines Agency, if they've looked at the safety data, if they're satisfied it's safe, I would have good confidence that that's a, that's a robust system. And, and some people are wondering, oh, why isn't the vaccine available now? And the answer is that the, the, that, that agency is looking at all of the information to satisfy themselves that it, the safety issues have been addressed and that it works. Um, and, and what I've seen uh, so far certainly is very encouraging. Um, but, but I think we have a lot of work to do, I suppose, to, to talk to people about the vaccine, what the advantages of the vaccine are. It is always the case, I think, that when the medicine is new, that people are a little nervous about it. And, and some people, there will be some people like myself who, who would be, who would be happy to have it if it was if I was offered the vaccine today? Truthfully, I would, I would line up um, straight away, uh, you know, shoulder up, and straight away. I'd, you, I'd have I'd have the sweater off in a minute if I was offered the vaccine today. Truthfully, but I know that um, for some people won't feel like that. Some people may have concerns about it, and I, I think that the more we give people information about how the vaccine works, um, uh, then I think that that will help people to decide what's appropriate for them, as I said. Uh, so I, do, I know people myself who, are, who have questions. It's right, to, it's right that people should have questions. Um, uh, I try to answer those questions to people when they, when they ask me about them as best I can. And um, 
But as I said, definitely, if if somebody was to come through the door right now and say, I've got the vaccine for you, um, I would be, I'd be safe with your arm, do you want? I, I find it interesting that you say, you know, that you accept that some people might be a little reluctant. You do accept that. And therefore, we shouldn't push these people aside. We should bring them in and embrace them and help them to understand about the vaccine and encourage them then to take it. I, yeah, so I think that if we if people get more information, if they understand what the risk is for them, then and and of course COVID um, COVID doesn't treat everybody equally, and we know that we've seen that there are certain of us who are much more risk than others, and certainly if for for older people, um, for people who have pre existing disease, the risk of COVID is much greater, um, and so I think particularly for for people who are at high risk, um, it, I think trying to get them the information that helps them to, to make a decision is really important. Um, so we have a lot, I think, work to do, I think, on communicating pe- to people. One of the things about, when I'm teaching the medical students about vaccination, one of the things I tell them is that no matter how good the technology is, a vaccine only works if people take it. And um, so, so making the technology that got us here is really important. And, and hopefully when the European Medicines Agency have looked at all of the safety data, I hope they'll be satisfied that, that we can go ahead. Um, and then if they are, then the next part of that is a huge piece of communication that's around telling people what this is, telling them what the advantages of it are. And we will find out along, the, we, 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 we have found out, for example, that the, the, you know, for any vaccine, some people might have an allergy to a particular part of the vaccine. Like, um, and if they have, then, you know, if you have an allergic, then that vaccine is not for you. But for the vast majority of people, I expect that if the EMA come through this, we're going to have reassurance that the vaccine is safe for most people. And then that we identify those people. Like, for example, if somebody is allergic to a part of the vaccine, then that's the person you would be saying, oh, this vaccine might not be for you. The Pfizer vaccine is the one we're talking about at the moment, but there are others on the way, hopefully. Isn't that correct? We look as if there may be two or three more not far over the horizon. Yes, there seems like there's quite a lot and the technologies for for some of the vaccines are quite different. And and obviously, yeah, Russia has already started using a vaccine, which is a different technology. So there's a number of different ways you can make a vaccine, but they all come down to pretty much the same idea, is that you want something that does not cause disease, but that gives the immune system a preview of what the virus looks like. So almost all vaccines are essentially based on, on having either a dead virus or a piece of the virus that the immune system can look at and get ready before it meets the real thing. Um, and so in some cases, um, in some cases they have made a piece of the virus and that's what they inject into you, a, a protein from the virus, and that's what the vaccine is. And in other cases, what they've done is that they've gotten a gene from the virus and they get your own cells to make the protein that your immune system reacts to. But it, it so there's, and the science of this, as I said, is to me, the science of it is really intriguing. The technology is fascinating, but they, it all comes down to giving your immune system a safe preview of what might be out there if you get the real thing. Okay, well, the last question for you, in a, in a sense, is that we're now coming towards Christmas. People are going to make choices to meet one another or how they're going to do, go to family and friends. 
What will you do this Christmas? How will you deal with things? So um, we will have to our house for Christmas Day. We'll have immediate family. That and, and so I think the thing is that in terms of balancing risk and safety, the question to ask yourself is: What's the smallest number of people I can have? A smaller number is generally safer. And the other thing I think in terms of who you might have in the house with you on the day, whatever the big day is for you, um, is that it's a fairly small number as you can and that there are people you can trust. And I would say that people that you trust with your life, particularly if you're extremely vulnerable or, or, or uh, to, to COVID, then if somebody comes to your house and they have symptoms, then that's that you really don't want that to happen. So I think keep the numbers as small as you can Try to keep them to people that you can trust to stay away if they're not feeling well. Um, and those are the biggest things to do. And then over the Christmas period, um, to try to keep the overall number of people that you meet as small as you can. As I say, keep it to people you trust. Avoid big crowded places as much as you can. And then if you are out and about, try to follow all the, the, the guidance as best you can follow it. And sometimes it's hard, but as best you can follow it, try to follow the guidance in particular about keeping your distance, avoiding crowded places. You get COVID from people. That's that's not nice news, but it is it is really simple news. The more people you meet, the, the greater the chance that you're going to be exposed to COVID. And the person, a person might not know that they're infectious when they meet you. So, and that's the risk. And then the other part of it is, if if there are people you can trust to be sensible and to stay away from you when you have symptoms, that's the other thing that's really important. Professor Cormacan, I think that is a great line to end, end on. Trust the people that you're meeting. So hopefully that you have a, a good Christmas and that you'll trust everybody that you meet. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Take care. <laughs>